I thank you that this universe belongs to you because you made it. You own it. And we belong to you as well, doubly, both by creation and because for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, you have saved us and we are yours. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst. Lord, that you would come and stir in our hearts a desire to follow you more and to love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I've got a, uh, one of the pew Bibles here, so I'll look up the page number for you. Um, forgot to do that earlier. Philippians 3 is page 1,828. 1,828. So that's where we'll be this morning. But before we read the passage, I just want to set the stage by asking this question. Has you, have you ever seen somebody that you don't know yet and you thought, man, I want to get to know that person? When I first saw Holly, I want to get to know her. A guy sees a pretty girl and he, his mind becomes consumed with schemes of ways to get to know her. Got to get her number. Got to figure out where she'll be next. Or maybe there's someone you'd like to get to know because you want to be more like them. I wish I could live life well like they do. Glean some of their wisdom. So what's the best time, or best way to get to know this person? Well, you spend time with them. You listen to what they say. You study the way you li they live. You, you walk in their shoes. You learn to see the world the way they see the world. So today, we're going to be looking at Philippians th chapter 3. And the, the letter of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. Apostle means sent one. He was sent by Jesus to preach the good news about Jesus all over the ancient world. And Paul wrote this letter to a church in Philippi. So we call it Philippians. And he wrote it with one consuming passion. He wanted them to know Jesus like he knew Jesus. Paul wanted to know Jesus more than anything else in the world. He wanted to know Christ. And he was willing to part with anything that the world had to offer if only he could know Jesus better. But why? Why was Paul obsessed with getting to know Jesus? Why would someone be utterly obsessed with getting to know a Jewish rabbi who was crucified by the Romans because he claimed to be a king? Well, it's because Paul was totally convinced by Jesus, that Jesus was actually a king. Not just any king. Paul believed Jesus was God's king. The king of heaven and the king of earth. And this king said things like this. Jesus said in John 17, This is eternal life, that they, that people, know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So for Paul to know Jesus, to know this person, 
was to possess eternal life and to know God himself. And Paul believed with all his heart that Jesus alone was the door to eternal life, that nobody could make it to heaven and to life with God forever in the new creation apart from Jesus because nobody else had paid for human sins. Nobody else had beaten death by his resurrection. Nobody else had lived a completely perfect human life like Jesus. Nobody spoke like Jesus spoke, loved like Jesus loved. Nobody could heal sick people like Jesus, raise the dead like Jesus raised the dead. There has never been, nor will there ever be, anyone like Jesus. And ever since Paul met Jesus for the first time, He wanted to know him more. That was the consuming passion of Paul's life. What consumes your life? Your thoughts, your passion, your prayer, your free time. For Paul, everything he did could be consumed, could could go fit under the heading of knowing Jesus more even the things that he enjoyed in creation he enjoyed so that he could thank jesus for them the giver of all good things for paul to know jesus is to live both now and forever and paul wants that for the philippian church that's why he's writing this letter and he wants that for you and i so philippians 3 where we're going to be today paul is continuing to talk about knowing jesus and here's the big idea that Paul wants us to see in verses 10 to 16, where we'll be today. The main idea is that Christians are to relentlessly pursue the prize of resurrection life that comes through knowing Jesus. Relentlessly pursue the prize of resurrection life, living forever, being raised from the dead. That prize comes through knowing Jesus. I'm going to read the verses now for us, and I'm going to use the English standard version, the ESV, because there's a few spots where I, the the NIV, I I just, it's a great translation, I love the NIV, but it doesn't always bring out in these verses anyway, um, some of the things I want to focus on. So, uh, Destiny, I've got a slide there with the ESV, could you click the next slide? I'm hoping it up, yeah, so this is the whole passage uh, behind me, so you can follow along if you don't have an ESV, I'm going to read it for us. Paul writes in verse 10, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, this morning we're going to walk through these verses in four steps. The first thing we're going to look at is what Paul says is the means or the way the means to something is the way something happens the means to knowing christ's resurrection power that's in verses 10 to 11. second 
Paul describes the mindset or the mentality of someone who's going to follow his example in pursuing Jesus. What's it look like to try to know Jesus with all your heart? Verses 15, or in verse 12, at the end, we're going to look at the motive that Paul has for following Jesus and for pursuing resurrection life. Why does he do it? And verses 15 and 16 will conclude with a final message for those who are trying to be mature Christians. So four M's here. That's my attempt to try to make it memorable. The means to knowing resurrection power, the mindset of someone pursuing the resurrection of Jesus, the motive of a mature believer, and the final message for the mature Christian. So we'll start, I'll read verses 10 and 11 again, and we'll look at the means to knowing Christ's resurrection power. Look at 10 and 11. Paul writes, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his, his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So to understand what Paul means here, we need to remember how Jesus himself came to know the power of resurrection or being raised from the dead. How did Jesus come to know this resurrection power that Paul wants to experience too? Well, first, Jesus had to die. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross was the way or the means, the path that he had to take to know the power of resurrection life. So I want you to picture in your mind's eye Jesus as he's on his way to be crucified, starting off carrying his cross. He's just been beaten within an inch of his life. Blood is falling to the ground. He's got a crown of thorns smashed on his head. And he's going. The crowds around him are mocking. Nothing can stop him, though, from the task set before him. He knows that he must endure the cross. He must die if he is to defeat death for everyone from the inside. If you're going to defeat death from the inside and break free, you have to die. So he must endure the cross. Only someone inside a tomb, someone who is dead, can beat death by busting out of a tomb in resurrection life. And so Jesus goes on and on. He goes closer to the cross. And then he hangs there for hours. The suffering is unimaginable. And with each gasp, with each breath, with each shudder of pain as he fights to breathe, the power of resurrection life that he's going to experience gets closer and closer and stronger. The hope of resurrection is nearer with every gasp that Jesus takes. His joy, ultimately, on that cross is in the Father, and it grows deeper and sweeter. Jesus he is the example for us of what unshakable resurrection joy looks like in the midst of excruciating pain and temptation to quit and to give up. Jesus holds fast. As the author of Hebrews reflects on this in our New Testament, 
he writes this in Hebrews 12. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Christian life is like a race and we got to run it with perseverance, throwing away everything that hinders. And here's what, here's what the verse I want to focus on. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. A pioneer is someone who goes before. Jesus bore the cross before, the path of suffering. And he says, for the joy set before him, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Oh, Paul says as he's writing, he's sitting in prison writing this letter. He's in jail writing this letter. He's suffering for Jesus. And he says, as he remembers all that Jesus went through for him, he says, I want to know this Christ. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus as he hung there. Through eyes of faith, I want to see him there feeling God forsaken and yet still crying out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit with mighty faith. And then Jesus dies with a great victory shout, a great shout. It is finished. What's finished? His mission. He's paid for sin. He's about to be buried. He dies. But Jesus' suffering on the cross and his death is the path or the prelude to knowing resurrection power. And three days later, Jesus experiences that power, and he will never suffer death again. Having emptied himself from everything, now the Father has raised Jesus on the third day, and he gave him the name that is above every name, the name the Lord, the name that every knee will bow to. So, how does that connect with Paul? Well, Paul believes that the more that he himself suffers... And the more that the Philippian church suffers hard things, and the more that you and I suffer in this life as we live our lives for Jesus, Paul believes that the more we do that, the more that we will be actually sharing in Jesus' own sufferings, in similar like suffering, suffering like Jesus went through. That means that following Jesus if we're really following him, it's going to hurt. Fighting sin, for example, in our lives, the desires to disobey God that constantly are rising up in our sinful flesh, it's going to hurt to fight sin. Remember we just read in Hebrews 12, he says, in your struggle against sin, you're not really trying that hard. You haven't shed blood yet. Jesus shed his blood on the cross because your sin was so serious. And you don't take it serious, right? This is the author of Hebrews. You, you haven't resisted it yet, shedding blood. How hard are you really trying? Fighting sin hurts. We have to say no to things that we really want to do because we believe that Jesus and life with him is better. When we follow the real Jesus, the real Jesus, who's a king and a Lord, who demands total allegiance, Sin is our greatest enemy, and we make war 
And it's hard because there's a part of us that has to die. We have to say no to what our flesh really wants to do because we know that those things don't lead to resurrection life. They don't lead to experiencing the power of resurrection. They lead away from Jesus into darkness, into hiding things, and ultimately to death. Lust, sexual immorality, it feels good in the moment. It feels great. But in the end, it always, always, always lands in darkness, misery, and slavery to our own selfish desires. Its reward at the end is hell. Giving full vent to anger, it feels great. It feels powerful in the moment. I mean, you ever been really angry and felt really right about being angry? And it just, it feels good. But does it ever bring you closer to people to give full vent to your anger? No. It pushes people away. And in the end, giving vent to our anger will leave a flaming wreck of all relationships. It's actually slavery. You feel powerful, but you're not in control. You are not in control. You're about to set a forest on fire, and you will not be able to stop it. It's slavery. The love of money, it feels good as we spend money on our pleasures, but stuff can never satisfy And the more that we make and the more we spend what we have or hoard the things that we have, the deeper our slavery towards money and things will become. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow what we treasure. And there's nothing else that proves what we treasure like what we spend money on. We must die to the love of money by giving. Giving till it hurts. Till it hurts our love of money. And strengthens our love for Jesus. You came into the world with nothing. We can't take anything out. Or take sharing our faith, for example. Again, we're talking about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Because of our resurrection hope. Sharing our faith. Talking about Jesus when everyone thinks it's stupid. Can hurt. Can be embarrassing. Or feel embarrassing. Being put in prison for Jesus, like Paul was. Paul's in prison. Why is he in jail? Did he break the law? Not God's law. He's talking about Jesus, and he gets locked up. It hurts. Losing dear friends who reject us for following Jesus, or even close family members, it can hurt. The more we suffer for Jesus, though, and the more we don't buckle, and the more we learn to say no to the sins that Jesus paid for, the stronger the power of Christ's resurrection life grows within us. And the closer we come to our own resurrection that lies on the other side of the grave. So, how do you and I know the power of Christ's resurrection here and now in our own lives? We suffer. And we can hurt. And when we hurt, when things hurt us, when we have to say no to things that we really want to do because we know following Jesus is better. The Christian will cling more tightly to Jesus in that moment. Suffering is a means that God uses to draw us closer to himself. 
The weaker we are, the stronger he is. The more we say no to sin and try to kill it, the sweeter his promises will taste. The closer to death we come in this life, the sweeter and stronger our hope of resurrection in the next life gets. But we can never start coasting in the Christian life because, I want you to hear this, our resurrection is actually not guaranteed unconditionally. Do you see that in verse 11? Translations sometimes soften this a little bit. But Paul himself actually puts an if on his being raised from the dead. God raises everybody. It's his job. No, not according to Paul. Paul does not even take his own resurrection from the dead for granted. He doesn't say, Jesus saved me, so now I can just float down this river of ease, enjoying the pleasures of the flesh until I die a peaceful death and get raised from the dead. Literally, verse 11 says, here's literal, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Let's see. Um, That by any means possible, I may attain. If somehow is literally the, the... Somehow, I want to attain resurrection. What's the means that he's been talking about? Suffering. Suffering is the way. Suffering is going to guarantee that he stays close to Jesus. Paul has seen a lot of people drop out of the Christian life in his time in ministry. He's seen a lot of people that have chose the easy path. Sin looked fun and selfishness felt good. And tragically, they did not attain resurrection. Now, Paul is not teaching works salvation here. No, he truly believes we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone. Paul believes that. But real faith, faith that's real, if you really trust Jesus, you obey him. Jesus says that all over the place. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you say you have, you walk in the light, but you walk in the darkness, you lie, and the truth has no place in your life. It's simple. Yes, Christians sin, but we keep getting up and pursuing Christ, confessing our sins, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There's all kinds of conditions in the Christian life. And Paul says it's it's real faith that saves, and only real faith. And real faith is faith that continues to trust, continues to pursue Jesus. This is the means. And God uses suffering and hardship and saying no to sin, even when it hurts. He uses that to keep us pursuing Jesus. Jesus, to remind us, when you lose everything, Jesus is all you need. So, Paul doesn't take his continuing to follow Jesus for granted, but he adopts the mindset that we are going to look at next in verses 12 to 14. The mindset of someone pursuing the resurrection of Jesus. That's the second point. 
Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's two things to point out about this mindset that Paul has and the, the mindset he's calling Christians to. First, verse 12, he says he hasn't been resurrected yet and he hasn't been made perfect yet. In other words, Paul views being a perfect human being as something he hasn't attained yet. It will come one day when he's raised from the dead, but not yet. D.L. Moody was a famous preacher, and one time um, somebody, uh, some, some Wesleyan churches teach what's called Christian, Christian perfectionism, like you can actually be, become perfect in this life. And uh, supposedly there was this, as the story goes, there was this guy that uh, said he was perfect. And D.L. Moody was like, really? And he dumped a hot cup of coffee or tea, I forget what it was, on the guy's lap. And the guy lost his cool. At D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody didn't say anything, he just walked away chuckling. <laughs> I don't know if that's wrong, but <laughs> the point was, nobody is perfect. You ever heard that phrase? Well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You ever heard that? Usually people say that when they're trying to justify their sin or someone else's sin. Well, you know, maybe I don't agree with what Donald Trump did or said there, but nobody's perfect. It was like, well, it doesn't justify. We can still say it's wrong. Regardless of how you feel about somebody's policies or their life, you can say that was wrong. But it's not entirely true that nobody's perfect. Because one person was. We believe that. Jesus was truly perfect. And he shows us the perfect and the best way to live. He is the definition of love and truth. And we, we're headed there. We're headed to perfection, according to Paul, but not yet. We haven't arrived. If anyone would have arrived, you would have thought it would probably be the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's written like almost half the letters in the New Testament. I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, I haven't considered that I've attained perfection or resurrection. He views perfection as being linked with resurrection. When you are raised from the dead, you'll get your new body from Jesus, and then you'll be perfect. But until then... What do we do? And this is the second thing to see in verse 12. I press on to make it my own. What is the it he's talking about? It's resurrection and the perfection that accompanies it. You see that? Resurrection is ahead of him. He doesn't say, I have it yet. There's a sense in which he has the resurrection power of Jesus at work in him, helping him live a life for Jesus endure suffering, but he's not attained perfection or resurrection yet. It's still in the future for him. And so he says, verse 13, 14, we're going to look at it, the mentality of someone who is totally focused on the resurrection that's coming. All right? I'm trying to find where I had written down the verses okay Paul presses on towards the goal the prize 
Okay, you see that up there? Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. What is the prize? The prize is resurrection, eternal life with Jesus and perfection. Forgetting what is behind. He doesn't bring up and focus on his past failures, his past shame, things he was embarrassed about, and neither does he focus on his past victories. If you look at your life, I'm sure you could think of things you're proud of and things you're embarrassed about. And Paul says, I put it all behind me. I focus on the goal, the prize of knowing Jesus. Have you ever played a sport and you made a really bad mistake on the field? Like the soccer player who actually accidentally kicks the ball into his own goal? It happens. You go for a header, and instead of heading the ball forward, it goes off your head and over the goalie's head, and he jumps like this, and you just see it go... Okay, bend there. Not cool. What do you have to do in that moment? Or you're a pitcher, and you threw... You walked three people, and the bases are loaded, and you get the best hitter on the team, and he's like a foot taller than you, and you got to strike him out, or it's going to be a grand slam. I mean, what do you do? You have to forget what's behind and focus on the goal. Throw really good strikes just outside, you know, just hugging the plate, whatever. All right, so Paul is using a similar analogy, right? Forget what's behind, focus on the goal in the Christian life. Don't let failure mess with your head and bind you in a cycle of feeling guilty. Press on. Press on towards resurrection and perfection with Jesus one day when he comes. It's the mentality of those who make it in the Christian life. Press on to know the Lord. But why? What's the motive? Why do we want to know the Lord? Well, verse 12, near the end, I'll read the whole verse for us, but Paul says this. This is the third point, the motive. Not that I have already obtained this resurrection, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because, literally, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Did you catch the reason? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what it literally says. Paul put his trust in Jesus, and he gave his life to Jesus, and the Lord Jesus became his owner. Jesus owns me. He belonged to the Lord. There's a certain thrill that comes with being owned by somebody who loves you. Okay. I belong to Holly. She's my wife. That's really special my wife. She belongs to me. I own her, but not in a negative sense, right? She is my own. In other words, we belong to each other. Or Mercy is my daughter. She belongs to me. Like That is a, a beautiful thing. She didn't choose to belong to me, and I didn't go through a long list of kids and we're like, I pick her. No, God gave her to us. She belongs to Holly and I, she didn't earn it. And in the same way, we belong, Paul belongs, and anyone who trusts in Jesus belongs to the Lord Jesus. We are the treasured possession of Christ. And so because Jesus loves Paul, 
And because Jesus pursued Paul first, Paul loves Jesus. He wants to know this Jesus to who he belongs. Jesus left everything, gave up everything to come to earth and rescue us. We belong to him. And so let's live, Paul says, for the one to whom we belong. And now we come to the final word in this section, the the final message for the mature in verses 15 and 16. I'll read these for us now. Paul says, let those who are mature, therefore, there's a therefore in there, let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, three things quick here about these two verses. First, Paul basically says in verse 15, guys, think like this. If you're a mature Christian or someone, your desire to be mature, which all Christians who are true Christians actually should desire to be mature in the faith. This isn't um, Never Never Land. Uh, Peter Pan did not ever want to grow up, right? Christians aren't to be like that and are not to be like that. Oh, I just want to never grow up in the Christian faith. No, we want to grow into maturity because we want to be like Jesus, the perfect one, all right? And so... Paul says, if you are mature, then you must think like this. This is the definition of maturity. This wanting to know Jesus above everything, no matter how hard it is. This mentality that says, I forget what's behind, and I I just want to press on towards knowing Jesus. Yes, we can learn from the past. I hope you learn from the past. (laughs) Um, But press on towards knowing Christ. This is the mentality that must characterize true believers. The second thing Paul says, if you don't think this way, like if you're not mature, if you think otherwise, then God will let you know. That's basically what he's saying there. He'll reveal that to you, okay? If you're truly his child, then the Holy Spirit will convict your heart and prod you on towards loving Jesus and following Jesus as you ought. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives of true believers convicting them of sin. And then the third thing Paul finally says is, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, Paul's saying, hold fast to the level of spiritual maturity that you have reached. Don't backslide. If you've, you know what you, certain t- sins that you've struggled with in the past, don't go there again. You've defeated them, walk in victory. Don't dabble in sins that have dominated your life in the past. Hold true to the level of maturity. Don't slide back. Fight sin. Press on. Remember Jesus who loved you. So in conclusion, this is a call from Paul to the Philippians and therefore to us as well to not drop out of the race of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a sprint, okay? It is a long distance run. It's a marathon, okay? With a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. It's filled with really hard things. And at the end of this marathon called the Christian life, we're gonna die. Each one of you here is going to die. You ever watch the news and 
read about somebody who died suddenly? No, nobody expected it. Like that happens all the time. And it could be one of you. It could be me. I don't know. You don't know when you will die. But we only have one thing that's certain in this life. Not whether we live or die. One thing that's certain. There is one who defeated death. Jesus Christ. Okay? And he beckons to us from beyond the grave. To know me is to live. To know me is to know the source and the way to resurrection life. He's the one who defeats death, and he bids us follow him as Christians on the path to eternal life. So this is a new year, right? January. And folks uh, often will make New Year's resolutions, right? And then you, you break them within the first week. You know what? In the Christian life, we're used to that. We're used to lots of getting up and falling down. Getting up and falling down. Getting up and falling down. But for the true believer, the true believer is one that keeps running because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We continue to pursue Christ because he loved us first. We relentlessly pursue the prize of resurrection life that comes through knowing Jesus, no matter the cost. I want to close with the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 24 to 27, Paul writes this. He says, Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? This, this idea of comparing the Christian life to a marathon, that's not, I didn't come up with that. Paul compares Christianity to a race. And he says, Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, that would have been the Olympic Games, goes through strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's the crown of eternal life. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Self-control. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Did you catch that? That's what I was saying earlier about Paul not taking his resurrection for granted. After preaching the gospel to others, you know how many preachers have walked away from Jesus? Millions. And I do not consider myself beyond that but one thing i do forgetting what is behind i press on press on and i need your help and we need each other's help pray for each other i hope you do that we would all not run like people running aimlessly that when we fight sin we wouldn't just fight the air but we would actually Hit sins with true promises of Jesus. Jesus is better. Faithfulness is, faithfulness is worth it. Trusting him, following him, is going to be worth it in the end.
There is a prize that's coming. There is a prize. The greatest gift imaginable. Life with our Creator forever and ever in a perfect world. A new creation that He is coming again to create. And I want that for each one of you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that each one sitting here would finish the race of the Christian life running. That no one would be disqualified from the prize because their faith is shown to not be real. Keep us following Jesus. Please keep us faithful. And I thank you that for all who truly belong to you, your Holy Spirit helps us. You will not let us go. I thank you for that hope. And I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to love Jesus more this week than ever before. That we would press on to know the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.